Welcome to It's All About Jesus, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Eagle. You are listening to a Sunday morning message by Pastor Mike Sasso. If you would like to join us for church, we meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle, Idaho. You may also join us live streaming at that time. Go to cceagle.org at 10 a.m. to watch the whole service live. If you can't join us then, you can always go back and watch the video. Let's listen in to today's message. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. So when the writer of Hebrews, who was a, a Jew, is writing to the Jewish Christians and talking about the city of, of fleeing for refuge, this would pop in their mind immediately about the cities of refuge. And, and the avenger of blood couldn't get them, and even after the death of the high priest. Now, <clears throat> we flee to Jesus, who is our city of refuge. He's our eternal city of refuge. And as a high priest, he already died and rose again. He's never going to die again. So we're free. Now, another big difference is uh, back then, the avenger of blood couldn't touch them because, uh, of course, they had to wait to the death of the high priest. But we're all free. Those of us who flee to Jesus. Now, again, I happen to look at David Gusek a lot this week. So I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I'll give credit, but I'm going to still steal it. Okay. David Gusek gave seven differences between the cities of refuge in the Old Testament and fleeing to Jesus in the New Testament. Let me read them to you. I think they're quite insightful. Number one, both Jesus and the city of refuge were within easy reach of a person in need. The place of refuge is of no use if it can't be reached. So they were spread out so that there's always one near you. <laughs> Coming to a city near you, right? Number two, both Jesus and the cities of refuge were open to all. Not just the Israelite. This worked for all. And no one who comes to the place of refuge is ever turned away in time of need. Sorry, you can't come in here, right? Good picture of Jesus. Uh, number three, both Jesus and the cities of refuge were places to live. In time of need, you don't go just to visit the city of refuge. You're looking for a place to live and to live safely. Number four, both Jesus and the cities of refuge were the only... <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> I forgot to take my cough drops this morning. It's too late now. Don't give it to me now. No, I'm not going to talk. My wife's going to ring me one. I don't want to talk with a cough drop in your mouth and you're hearing. What is that clinking sound? Okay. So, number four. Uh, both Jesus and the cities of refuge were the only alternative for the one in need. Without this refuge, destruction is certain. It was true back then. It's true today. If we flee for refuge to Jesus Christ. He's our only place to flee. Don't ever think you've got anywhere else to run when you're in trouble. Okay, number five. Both Jesus and the cities of refuge provide protection only within their boundaries. To go outside the provided refuge means death. We just finished Hebrews 6, the first part of it, talking about people who leave the protection of Jesus Christ. We talked about apostasy. Those who looked to Jesus and ran to Jesus and now they're running away from Jesus. They're running to a very dangerous and unsafe place. And so I like this, uh, that the uh, protection is only good within the boundaries of the city of refuge. Number six, uh, 
Both Jesus and the cities of refuge provide full freedom with the death of the high priest. So once the, the high priest died, they're safe forever. And our high priest already did it all. Get okay, one more. I like this number seven. However, there's one crucial distinction between Jesus and the cities of refuge. The cities of refuge only helped the innocent. Back in the Old Testament, if you're guilty, they're going to come in and get you. But the guilty can come to Jesus Christ and find refuge. Isn't it good? I, I hope you know that. Even if you're guilty, you could run. Some people think, run to Jesus. Unless you're guilty, run away from Jesus. Listen. The guilty could come to Jesus, and if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I wanted to take a moment to look at that phrase, fleed for refuge, because it's pregnant with meaning to the Jewish believer who would hear that phrase in verse 18. Now, another in verse 18, it says that they fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. I really believe that, yes, God laid hold of me. God sought me out and he, he saved me. But I think that it's also as a, a, a joint thing that now I need to hold on to Jesus. Because, folks, there's a lot of other distractions in this world. There's other things that you could lay hold of that will be dangerous that you lay hold of and they burn your hands. Lay hold of the hope that is set before us. Uh, one paraphrase puts it like this, and I really like this. God can't break his word because his word cannot change. The, promises, the promise is likewise unchangeable. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promise, hope with both hands, and never let it go. Huh? Now, I know I've heard a lot of people go, oh, no, I don't hold him. He holds me. It's true. But I think we need to have that attitude that, oh, Lord, Mm -mm -mm, I'm never letting go of you. I'm fleeing for refuge. You don't, you don't just go, well, he's, if he wants me, he's going to come and get me. You flee to the city of refuge, and you lay hold of the hope that is set before you. And I like this paraphrase, with both hands, you don't let go. Uh, I, that's the way I feel, at least. You know, Yeah, he's got me, but I'm not letting go of him either. Okay, now, verse 19 goes on to say, This hope we have as an anchor of our soul both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. Do you see a few different things in this verse we could talk about? Well, there's two real important things. First of all, let's just talk about the hope we find in Christ. And in your next fill-in is this. <clears throat> Our hope in Christ is like an anchor for the soul. Our hope in Christ is like an anchor for our soul. Now, I think... I put some pictures in, in our presentation that they, I, I read over uh, this week that the um, catacombs where the Christians used to hide, they would carve and put carvings in the catacombs, and there was a, a popular symbol in the early church was the anchor. It was a very popular symbol. And in the catacombs, there were 66 pictures of anchors found in the catacombs. Kind of interesting. Now, you're waving to me. Does that mean you don't have it? I probably put it in wrong. I put them both in the same slide, and I probably should have put two different sides. Okay, anyway, uh, look it up sometime. Google it. You know what they say. So uh, the catacombs are filled with carvings from the Christians in hiding of an anchor, because Jesus is the anchor of our soul. And the believer's hope in Christ is secure. It's like an anchor for our soul. And like an anchor holding a ship safely in position, our hope in Christ guarantees our safety. Verse 19 goes on to say, 
uh, this hope we have as an anchor of our soul. Let's see, there was something I wanted to say about an anchor. It's probably somewhere else down in my notes there because uh, I changed it. There were, uh, my new, new King James study Bible had a real nice story about an anchor and then the, uh, I found a different one somewhere else that was even better. Okay, um, verse 19 goes on to say, We have this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. Now, what picture would that give a Jewish believer? The presence behind the veil. You know what that's talking about? It's talking about the Holy of Holies, the place on the other side of the veil that only the high priest could go and once a year and where the presence of God dwelled in the temple or the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, the presence behind the veil where the, where the, the Lord dwells. Oh, I don't know why I did that. So I put the, the ship anchor here. Listen. The ship's anchor goes down to the ocean bed. The Christian's anchor goes up to the heavenly sanctuary. Now, there's an important difference, right? We don't, our anchor doesn't go down. Our anchor is sure because it can't break. It's, it's not behind the veil in the presence of God, the holy of holies, steadfast and sure and can't slip. And you know what? There's nothing on earth that could be better. There's no more secure place than having Christ as our anchor. So... Verse 20. Hmm. We're in verse 20 and it's 11 o'clock, so we might just have an early lunch, okay? Verse 20 goes on to say, Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, there's a few things I want you to catch in here. And again, because the Jewish believer, knowing their Old Testament, would, would some of these things would really ring a bell for them, okay? So first of all, I want you to, to understand this, this meaning of forerunner. Interesting. This was the one where, uh, in my New King James Study Bible, it said forerunner in the second century. They used to have, when big ships were coming into harbor in narrow passageways, they'd have little boats, kind of like we have tugboats today. They'd have these little boats carrying the anchors to go into the safe harbor, and they dropped the anchor for the big barges that were coming in. And uh, I thought that's interesting, but that was second century, so I don't think that was what uh, the writer was, was thinking about. But here's something I found, that the forerunner in ancient Greek, the word was prodromos, and it was a military reconnaissance man. A forerunner goes forward knowing that others will follow behind him. So it was kind of like a point man. Spurgeon says this, we are told next that as a forerunner, our Lord has for us entered, and that is entered to take possession in our name. When Jesus Christ went into heaven, he did it as were, uh, excuse me, he did, as it were, look around all the thrones and all the palms and all the harps and all the crowns and say, I take possession of these things in the name of my redeemed, and I am representative and claim the heavenly places in their name. So that's kind of cool. The Lord goes before us and says, all of this I've paid for, for my redeemed. They're coming behind me, and I claim it. You know, we like to claim things in Jesus' name. Jesus went to heaven and claimed things in our name and says, this is for my beloved as a forerunner. I like that. So if Jesus is the forerunner, then we're the afterrunners. And, and there's no, no forerunner if there's no afterrunner. So we're following behind him. And we should follow hard after Jesus and run hard after him. 
He's gone before us as our pattern. Lord, help us to follow that pattern. Um, okay, I see. I did. I kept it in my notes. I already told you the story. Verse 20 goes on to say, uh, speaking after the forerunner, it says, He's entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever. Now, of course, the Jewish believers who are now Christians and struggling over how much of the Torah, how much of the, the Old Testament should I still be involved in, they're hearing that Jesus is the forever high priest now. And I'm, I'm not following the old priesthood. So you got to remember, this, this book makes more sense when you understand who it was written to. It was written to encourage the Jewish believers that Jesus is God's ultimate answer. And he's superior than all who came before them. And all the Jewish believers were, were so accustomed to, everything that they would lean on as a, as a Jew, everything that they would depend upon, so much of that is now replaced in Jesus Christ. Because like I told you, soon there'd be no temple, there'd be no more sacrifices, there'd be no more priestly duties. Now, it wasn't quite yet, but what, what timing? God was preparing them for what was just a few years off. And the temple, in all its required activities of the Torah, would soon be destroyed by the Romans, and it would change life for the Jews forever. But that's okay, because the Messiah has come. Jesus is here. And, 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 and most of what we look at in the past, it was a shadow of what was to come. It was just, it's, it's, it's been replaced by the real, okay? The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Do you have to go to the temple anymore and, and offer sacrifices? Of course, you never did. But we, we didn't because Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And not only that, as the word I just read, high priest, he's the high priest. You know what a high priest was for? He represented the people to God. I used to think, because I was raised Catholic, I used to think that the, the priest represents God to the people. Well, not in Jewish, not in Jewish thinking. In Jewish thinking, the priest went before God on behalf of the people to represent the people and make sacrifices for their sin. He was the mediator. You know, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He was the one who went to God for us. There's one God and one mediator between God and man now. It's the, it's the man, Christ Jesus. No longer any other priesthood, no longer any other mediators. It's all found in Jesus. Did I ever tell you it's all about Jesus? It's all found in Jesus Christ. And so what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get through their heads is he, Jesus is the final mediator. He is our permanent high priest. There's not going to be another one after him. And, and after all the different orders of priests, matter of fact, one of the things that the, um, the uh, Jewish believer would be wrestling with is, you know, according to the Torah, uh, you need to have a priest after the order of uh, a descendant of Aaron. So the next thing that the writer is going to talk about is, well, that's changed too. There's a new order of priesthood. It's Melchizedek. We're going to look at this character more next week in chapter 7. But I want to kind of introduce him to you uh, today before we end. Listen, it's funny. If you, if you study your Bible, probably the most famous man, Old Testament and New, or maybe even Old Testament who shows up in the New, is Abraham. He's the father of our faith, right? He's famous, and he's mentioned 75 times in our New Testament alone. Probably the least famous man from the Old Testament <clears throat> that is found in the New Testament is Melchizedek. He's only found in the book of Hebrews. He's mentioned nine times, but only in the book of Hebrews. And yet, God did tell his people beforehand that I'm going to send a priest 
who's going to be a priest forever, and he's going to be after the order of Melchizedek. Did you know that? Let me show it to you. It, let me back up a few verses. It's Psalm uh, 110, verse 4, but I'm going to start with verse 1. Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, and this is David prophesying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the days of your power, in the beauties of holiness from the wombs of this morning. You have the dew of your youth. And here's the, the famous quote. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now I wonder how often the, the Jewish people before Christianity came along, I wonder how often the Jewish believer would look at this and what they would think of it. That God promised in the Old Testament through David, who was a, a prophet and a king, and he says, God said that he's going to send a forever priest, and it's going to be not from the line of Aaron, but it's going to be, it's not going to be of a Levitical priesthood. It's going to be from the line of of Melchizedek. So here, the Torah-observant Jewish Christian would be looking for a priest after the order of, of Aaron, but the writer here is saying, nope, look to Melchizedek. Psalm 110 verse 4 prophesied that. And the type of Christ found in their Torah. So by the way, yeah, I want you to see this, because as I've listened and read what people think about Melchizedek, some people think that Melchizedek was actually a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. They call it the Christophany of Melchizedek. I remember when I first got saved and I started studying and I, I learned a big word. I used to joke with people. I'd say, do you believe in the theophany of Melchizedek? And they go, what the heck are you talking about? Because some people actually believe that Melchizedek was an appearance of God in the Old Testament. Uh, I don't think so. Okay? I think that he was a type. Definitely he was a type of, of Christ. But... We'll look at this more in depth next week, but let me just explain a couple things about him as an introduction to next week's chapter. Um, Melchizedek is found 11 times in the scripture, 9 in the book of Hebrews, 6 in chapter 7 alone, where we're going to spend some time. But Melchizedek is a type of Christ. You go, you mean he wasn't a real person? He was an allegory? No. See, God has a way in the Old Testament to take actual historical people and actual historical events and make them both real, both historical, and types. Uh, for instance, Numbers 21, when the serpents were biting the children of Israel because they were, they were in sin, they were in rebellion, and God sent a judgment of serpents all around, and they were dying. And, and Moses is calling out to God, help, send help. And, and God said to uh, Moses, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to set up a, a pole in the center of camp and put a bronze serpent that looks just like the serpents that are biting people. And whoever looks to the serpent after they get bit, they'll, they'll be healed. That's a weird story, isn't it? That's what I call God's strange cure. But it was a type. Here's the thing. It was a type, and it was a real, a real story. I'm just one of these simple guys who believes that the Bible's true, and every story in the Bible is true. But I also believe God is big enough and deep enough that he could take true stories and also make them types. And so here's people who were bitten by poisonous snakes who should die and Moses says, please heal them. But instead of just healing them, he says, here's how I'm going to heal them. I want you to put a serpent on a pole, and when they look to the serpent, they'll be cured. 
It was a picture of the cross. It was a picture of Jesus who we are dying of sin. And we look to Jesus on the cross who became sin for us. And we are cured of our sin problem. Isn't that something? So God has many types throughout the Old Testament particularly. But Numbers 21 is a good picture of that. Another good picture of that is the Passover. Where, remember the angel of death was going to uh, go through the land of Egypt. And the firstborn, of every, the firstborn male of every family was going to be killed. And so uh, God told Moses, I want you to sacrifice a lamb for every household and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of each house. And then the people were supposed to go inside the house and eat of that lamb, have dinner together. And when the angel of death came over the land of Egypt, it passed over the houses with the blood on the doorpost. The, the judgment of God passed over every house that had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of the house. It's a picture, a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. That we look to Jesus for forgiveness of sins. He's our lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And when judgment comes, the judgment of God will pass over me because I've got the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of my heart. Beautiful picture. So all throughout the Old Testament there are types, but yet there are also historical figures. Melchizedek is just like that. He was a real person just like Abraham because he met Abraham and there's a story in Genesis maybe we'll look at it next week where Abraham tithed to Melchizedek and he was a, a, a real person historical and yet a type for us. That's the way God works. You know he's big enough that he could do that. Sometimes you know I've read stories and I'll read a story about a, a man in the Old Testament like for instance oh I think I got a time. And he talks about a man and, uh, that knew David, and his name was Nabal. And he was a fool. And he, uh, he, he was, did crazy things, and, and God killed Nabal, and then David ended up marrying his widow. Remember the story? That's a whole other story. But what, what reason I'm telling you this is because I remember when I first started studying this story, and I'd look up Nabal in, in Hebrew, what it means, and it means fool. And I thought... How does that work? This guy, did they name him after this event? You know? But you know, God just has a way of weaving it all together that there's people, their name actually means who they are. And what they do, their actions actually is a type of something that's going to happen in the future. God is big. And his word is awesome like that, okay? All right, I'm going off course here. Um, <clears throat> okay, listen. For now, I just want to end with this. Jesus is the anchor of our soul. And as we look at this text, the scary chapter comes to a peaceful end, looking at Christ as our anchor, our forerunner, our high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, and we could rest in him. And we could lay hold of the hope that is before us in Christ, but it's only in Christ. You know, I've had some uh, troubling things happen to me over the last couple years, and particularly months and weeks, where I'll run into old friends that I knew, who I knew them in the Lord, and they were Christians, and maybe we run into each other on Facebook, and I think I told you about a few, and they'll email me, or, they'll, or during a, a game online or whatever, and they'll tell me, yeah, I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm, sometimes they'll tell you what they are, and it's like, what? It's really heartbreaking. Matter of fact, this morning I woke up thinking about this. It was troubling me. And, and as I'm getting ready, in the restroom I usually turn on, uh, I tell Alexa to play me a Christian radio station. And 
right on the air as I'm getting ready this morning was uh, Adrian Rogers and he was talking about apostasy. And I just was glued to the radio because I thought, wow, this is, this is what I'm seeing all around me. I think we're in the age of apostasy. I think we're in the age when many are turning away from the faith, renouncing faith in Christ, and becoming something else. God help us to have our anchor in Christ and lay hold of the hope that is before us. He's holding on to us, but I'm going to also be holding on to him because I tell you folks, the scriptures are full of, full of warnings not to turn and not to turn away. And I think this is a beautiful ending for a scary chapter to look at Christ as our anchor. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Father, we bow before you and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. And right now, I just want to lift up my brothers and sisters to you. And we stand before you, Lord, recognizing we are so capable of evil. We are capable of sin. We're capable of drifting, straying. But Lord, we look to you and our hope is in you. Lord, our strong confidence is, rests in you, not in ourselves. Lord, we have no confidence in the flesh because we know what we're capable of. And Lord, I just lift up my brothers and sisters and I stand with them and I say, Lord, hold tight to us as we hold tight to you. In this dark age in which we live, in a world in which many are even renouncing the faith, many apostates, Lord, we look to you. May we glory in the joy of fellowship in our great high priest, Jesus. We look to you. You are our anchor. We worship you. And as we close in this last song, if there's something you need to set right between you and the Lord, would you just whisper a little prayer? Maybe, maybe you've just been letting other things distract you. Maybe it's been straight-out sin. Maybe there's been other religions. I don't know, but we live in an age of apostasy. Would you look just, just look to Jesus right now and whisper to him, what is it that's been standing between you and him? And let's sing this song and just commit ourselves to him. And as the scripture says, lay hold, or as the paraphrase says, grab on with both hands to Jesus. We hope you enjoyed today's program. You can find all of Pastor Mike's messages and any other information you would like about Calvary Chapel Eagle online at cceagle.org. In iTunes, you can subscribe to the podcast Calvary Chapel Eagle Sunday Morning. If you are new to the area and don't already have a home church, we would love for you to come check us out. We meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle. That is one block north of Highway 44. You can call or text the church phone at 208-891-2635. Once again, you can get any information you need at cceagle.org. There you will also find a link to join our Facebook page. So until next time, remember, it's all about Jesus. Yeah, the power of His name.